Well, today we start week two of our series on parenting. And last week we had a, a great start when it comes to uh, talking about the reality that you, as a parent, if you're a parent, that your authority actually has been given to you by God over your children. Uh, it's not something that you have because you are uh, stronger than them or smarter than them, which you are, but um, it's given to you by God. And the reality of it is, is that God is inviting you to actually steward that well. Uh, but we, we also recognize in this is that uh, every single day that your child lives from the moment it's first born, it is completely here. She's completely dependent on you and your authority is at its highest. But every single day that that child continues to live, it is moving more and more towards being an independent human being apart from your influence. Uh, but the hope and desire is that as this child grows, that yes, your authority is decreasing. The hope and desire is that your influence is increasing so that when they leave, they actually... A, want to have a relationship with you. B, want to ask you about life and wisdom and how to navigate the complexities and decisions that they have. And uh, with that reality, those realities, like parenting is hard, right? Yeah. Like parenting is hard. And uh, I, I'll give you this like picture as to when it comes to our family, uh, what we're kind of navigating in a lot of different ways is, is this. Is, uh, I had a, a professor in Bible college who gave me this, this picture and this analogy, and I'm beginning to understand it. Is he said, parenting is kind of like um, this scene that I know about. He's like, it's the scene from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Does anybody remember that movie? That's a great movie, right? Well, there's a scene where like Rudolph and his buddies, Yukon Cornelius, are dealing with the terror of the abominable snowman, right? And if you remember the scene, they're trying to coax the abominable snowman out of the cave. And, and my professor says, that's kind of like your children, okay? Like they're kind of scheming and trying to figure out how to navigate and their children are out trying to coax the abominable snowman, which is you as the parent. And Yukon Cornelius climbs up above the, the snow cave and the abominable snowman kind of comes out. And if you remember the scene, Yukon Cornelius is like hammering snow and ice and as soon as he steps out, what falls on the bottle snowman? Snow and ice, right? And kind of knocks him out. And he's like, that's kind of like parenting. He's like, as soon as you figure out your children and how they work, they move on to the next stage and you're always one step behind. Can anybody relate to that statement? It's like, as soon as you're like, okay, like we're in a good place now, but now they start doing this and they start saying this and they start behaving this way. And you're kind of like, what's happening as a parent? And I kind of feel that way right now in some ways. Let me give you an idea of what it's like to be in our dining room currently as a family. Uh, we've always kind of had children that are picky eaters. Anybody got picky eating children? Okay. So uh, one of the things that we're trying to navigate right now is how do we help our kids not be picky eaters? Well, the reality of it is we are not going to cook Four different meals for each one of our children every single time for dinner. And if you've chosen to do that, no judgment on our end. But we're not going to do that. We're going to provide a dinner. And um, what we're wrestling with is the continual, like, I don't like that. I don't want that. And really recognizing, okay, 
What do we do about that? So what we've decided to do is they have to take two no thank you bites. They have to take two bites of whatever we give them, and if they don't like it, they, they, they can then say what? No thank you, which is fine. But when they tell us that they're hungry 10 minutes later, like, sorry, you chose not to eat your dinner, right? So an hour later, if they're still hungry, they can choose from the snack list and have a snack and then go to bed. And guess what? They're really hungry for breakfast most of the time the next morning. And that's okay. But here's the thing we've been kind of wrestling with. Me and now I've been wrestling with this is it's not just about the fact of they don't like the dinner. It's the grumbling, the complaining, the lack of thankfulness that they have food on their plate. Which my mom and dad dealt with the same thing with me and my brother. They just handled it a little bit differently. They said stuff, my father, like, there's kids in... They would love to eat that, right? So what do we do with that? What do we do when this is a constant battle that we're dealing with? This is how I felt as a parent. I felt stuck. Because the behavior just keeps being the same. Ever felt that as a parent? Over and over the behavior doesn't change. And what are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do when the behavior doesn't change? I think we've got some answers in the passage that we started on last week and that we're going to be in every single week here at Real Life Ministries. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as we get into Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to remind you guys as we go through this series that we really are kind of developmentally also addressing where kids are at as they get older. And so last week, we talked really importantly about the authority that God's given you, which is really important to establish when they are young and when they are toddlers. If you know what I'm talking about, about that season, the terrible, that move into the terrible yeah, right? Like, it's really important to help your child understand, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge. You're not in charge. God's given you to me to walk beside you. Now we're going to start talking about this next stage where it's maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I would even argue what we're going to talk about kind of goes through the rest of their adulthood years as well. How do we get unstuck? How do we help our kids? How do we disciple our kids? How do we raise them and point them to Jesus? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your, what's that next word? Heart. heart. And that's going to be the word for today. So if you've got your notes, just put it in there. Put heart. Put heart all over your notes. We're going to see it all throughout today. It's the word we're focused on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Uh, just to remind you, as we continue this conversation, this slide that we showed last week, that God is inviting you as the parent to be the one that keeps the commands, fears the Lord, obeys the Lord, to impress them on your heart 
before you move into being a parent and pressing them on their heart, that you would be raised in the train and instruction of the Lord. And verse 6, just to remind you, these commands I give you to be on your hearts. Have you noticed that God has a fascination with the heart? He has a fascination with the heart. It's talked about all throughout Scripture. But just to remind you, maybe you've been in church for a long time. You've heard all these passages before. Maybe you're new to church, and you're like, I've never realized that or know that. Let me give you some more really important passages that get quoted a lot in the church. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do, everything, everything flows from it. Jesus, Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings out good things out that is good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So your child is disrespectful in his or her tone to you. Something's wrong with the heart. Uh, your son or daughter complains about every dinner. Something's wrong with the heart. To help you understand the graphic, from the heart, what we say is really a reflection of the heart. What we do is actually a reflection of the heart. The heart is what determines behavior. This is what Scripture says. This is what Scripture teaches. Now, that might be easy to take a look at and accept and go, yep, that makes sense. But here's the trap that the world, and even for me as a parent, here's the trap that I get focused in on and where I sometimes get stuck. This is kind of what leads me to being stuck when it comes to, to parenting. Is that humans focus on behavior modification. Uh, stop it. Right? Stop it. What are we focusing on? behavior stop it but God focuses on heart transformation God focuses on what's going on inside of you now listen to me on this don't hear me say that behavior doesn't matter it 100% matters but we as parents should be asking deeper questions when our children no matter how old they are what's going on inside of the heart and the heart has the potential for tremendous good but the heart as we just read in Luke has potential for tremendous bad and also if we leave the heart alone scripture says that the heart in its inclination and in its desires is more inclined to not what God wants versus what God wants and we know this from a very young age with our children 
Because learning to share your toys is an obstacle. Have you noticed that? The first word that they learn as toddlers is that this toy is And then we have World War III to make sure that it's mine, right? That's a heart that's inclined towards, towards me. But Scripture invites us to actually look at the heart. Why is this so hard? Or, or why is this so important? I think that God wants us to look at the heart because the heart is actually what drives long-term sustainability in desiring the things that he wants for us and we want for ourselves as well. The heart is what allows long-term sustained behavior towards the things that he says that are good. If the only thing we focus on is behavior, 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 what you'll find oftentimes is human beings, children, get really good at acting a certain way in one environment, but very differently in another. We see it all the time in the Christian faith that, that kids play the game all through middle school and high school, and if the heart's not addressed, over time, when they leave and they're on their own, they leave the faith. We see that. And oftentimes, there's a season and a time where they're wrestling with the truth, wrestling with what the world's saying, and there's a time where they eventually do come back to the faith. But here's what is common over and over and over again, is there's a conversation about the heart. The heart. What am I going to trust? God's word or what the world says? Not only that, but I think also what, what happens oftentimes when it comes to the heart, if we don't talk about the heart, is we get really good, like we said, certain environments acting this way and certain environments acting that way, which Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. I think there was a sermon series recently about that that talked about Jesus' concern for the heart. And that if you weren't consistent in your living and you were fragmented in your belief system about certain areas and certain things, he said, don't be like the hypocrites. Instead, focus on your heart. Where's your heart? And wanting to follow what God has for us. I love what Ted Tripp says from his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's been an influential book for me and Natalie as we've navigated uh, walking beside our kids. What is the problem with behavior modification, you ask? The problem is this. Your child's needs are far more profound than his apparent behavior. Remember, his behavior does not just spring forth uncaused. His behavior, the things he says and does, it reflects his heart. And if you really are to help him, you must be concerned with the attitudes of heart that drive his behavior. So, when we as parents and grandparents are watching our children grow up, behavior is just a cue for us to lean in. It's a cue to go, that's not what I've asked them to do. What's going on? And begin the deep dive of figuring out what's going on inside their hearts. Here's what's fascinating. Verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 
God says, impress these commandments, impress God's wisdom, impress the fear of the Lord on your children. And so not only are we supposed to look at our own hearts as we parent, but in addition to that, we're supposed to impress them on your children. Since the heart is the wellspring of life, you must intentionally shepherd and sharpen your child's heart. Everybody say shepherd this morning. Shepherd. Everybody say sharpen. Shepherd and sharpen your child's heart. Why would you say shepherd and sharpen your child's heart? Because here's the reality. I love the Hebrew language. You've heard me say this many, many times before. I love the Hebrew language because it's a poor man's language. There's not a lot of words in the vocabulary. And so words have multiple meanings and multiple pictures, which are fascinating for me because my heart then understands what God's trying to say. So that word impress, impress them, is the Hebrew shanan. Everybody say shanan. It means to sharpen, to wet, to teach incisively, to be pierced. What God's saying is, with what God is teaching you and what he's taught many people, you are to impress that on them. You are to, I believe, with the power of the Holy Spirit, in God's word, you are to help pierce their souls, their heart. And God's been doing this for thousands of years. He's inviting his, his people to follow him and to trust him in the midst of culture, the world that says the opposite. God's been dealing with the heart from the very beginning. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has died and resurrected. In Acts chapter 1, he tells his disciples, you need to stay in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And then he comes. You're going to be witnesses to me, to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And so they wait. They wait. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit comes. And they, people begin to speak in tongues. And it says, like, tongues of fire come and rest on people. And as people are speaking in tongues, the group, the crowd of people are watching and listening. And some people are like... I don't know what's going on, but I think some of these guys are drunk. And Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. <laughs> and he begins to tell them about the prophet Joel, that God prophesied that his spirit would be poured out on all people. And that's happening now. And not only that, but Jesus, this Messiah that you've been waiting for, that we've been waiting for for all these years, he actually came. And guess what? We killed him. You killed him. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that when they heard the message, it pierced their hearts. And they asked the question, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. God's been in the business of piercing hearts from the very, very beginning. Eve in the garden God, what did you do? We ate some of the fruit that you told us not to eat. And we were naked. And God comes out and says, who told you you were naked? And right after that, as he laid out the consequences of sin, it says that God then took animal skin and covered them, and covered their shame. God's been in the business of piercing our hearts 
helping us understand who he is, helping us understand how we're supposed to live, and continually loving us and giving us grace even when we don't deserve it. Why? To help us reflect on our hearts. Where is our hearts? Skip Moen puts it this way. The intensive form of the Hebrew word shanan means to teach incisively. These words are intended to cut deeply into the hearts of our children. They are to be inscribed into their hearts. Remember that means will, emotion, cognition, and action. Just as an engraver would inscribe words of love on a golden ring. If we knew the origin of the Hebrew word shanan, we would see just how pointed this is to be. For the literal meaning of shanan is to sharpen with a wet stone. It is commonly used of sharpening the points of arrows in preparation for battle. When you teach your children the word of Yahweh, you will probably draw some blood. I would argue figuratively, metaphorically, not only your children's blood, but your own as well. You will puncture some defenses. You will cut into resistance. If you don't, you did nothing to sharpen your sons and daughters. And so, when it comes to teaching God's word, when it comes to discipling your kids, it's like a knife and a whetstone. And so, yes, their behavior is not what God would want. But if we're going to teach them and impress it on their hearts, it requires us to ask questions. Help me understand. What was going on inside of you? when you chose to hit your brother? No, I really want to know. I want to know. And you can tell me the truth. What were you thinking? And the tone matters. What were you thinking? Or, I want to know. I want to know what was going on. Because you know the truth. What were you feeling? Help me understand why you've downloaded that app that I told you not to download. What is it you want? What is it you long for? Because you let emotion get the best of you, what was then your next action? What do you think God would rather have you do? What do you think I would rather have you do? 
know that when you choose not to trust me and God, it breaks my heart. What do you think you could commit to doing differently moving forward? And do you think God would help you with that? Do you want God to help you with that? When you're ready and you want to make it right between me and you, just come talk to me and we'll settle it and it'll be okay. This God loves you and I love you. And he wants to forgive you. It reminds me that parenting is a lot like that Proverbs passage where we're made for relationship and that iron sharpens iron. So what about you? What does it look like in your parenting? This is what I know. I'm helping sharpen my kids. But sometimes it's more painful, it seems like, as this stone gets grinded away. Grinded away so that my kids, that I hope and desire would be sharpened so they'd be sent out to impact the world. Where are you at when it comes to parenting your kids? And I just want to invite you to ask a couple questions as we get ready for communion. First one is this. You must intentionally shepherd and sharpen your child's heart. Use behavior to alert you as a parent but don't focus on behavior, focus on the heart. Learn how to have a dialogue, not a monologue. There's times for the monologue, but learn how to have a dialogue. And your heart in that dialogue will impact whether they want to have a dialogue. But learn how to have conversation. Help your child express himself, herself, of what's going on, where the heart can be led astray. Help your child navigate the nature of temptation, the possible responses to temptation, the motives of those responses, the sinful responses they chose. But sometimes they choose the right thing. And that has to be celebrated as well, right? Here's what I know. As we get ready for communion, as we come to the table with Jesus, how I interact with my kids, how you interact with your kids, our hearts <laughs> have to be monitored. My heart can be easily led astray. And in those moments, I have to ask for forgiveness for my own kids that I didn't parent them the way that God would want me to parent them. And I have to work through that brokenness. For some of you who have kids that are gone, 
you may already be in that place where you are estranged with their relationship and God is inviting you to seek reconciliation. Last week we had a gal leave service, reach out to her kids and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? So as we come to the table, whatever it is that Jesus is inviting you into in this role of being a parent, here's what I want you to know. He wants to have a conversation with you and he wants to talk about your heart. Your heart. And what that means as you walk beside your kids, your grandkids, and for all of you that are single and you don't have kids and it's not even on your radar, he still wants to talk to you about your heart. Let's spend some time with Jesus. And if you didn't receive the elements as you came in this morning and would like to take communion, would you just raise your hand? And these amazing servants would love to serve you the elements as we prepare for communion. Keep it up so they can see it. And they love to serve you a piece of bread and a cup of juice. Go ahead and keep them up. Keep them up. They'll see you. They'll see you. They're coming. Right there. All right.